If you have your copy of God's Word, or if you are using an electronic device as I am this morning, I would invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 39. We'll be reading Isaiah 39, verse 1, through chapter 40, verse 5. Don't worry, Isaiah 39 is one of the shortest chapters in the Bible. As we approach God's Word this morning, let us pray that the Spirit would open our eyes in our ears to see and hear what God would have to say to his people from his word this morning. Let us pray. Almighty God, we know that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Your word, O Lord, is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So, Lord, we would ask that you would make your words sweet to our taste, even sweeter than honey to our mouths. Help us to love your word. We ask you to speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. In the name of the word made flesh, Christ our Savior, we pray. Amen. We believe that what we are about to read is the inerrant word of the one and only true and living God. It is the only infallible rule for our faith and its practice. So hear now the word of our God from Isaiah chapter 39, beginning in verse 1. At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly, and he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, They have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought, There will be peace and security in my days. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth 
of the Lord has spoken. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. U.S. President Teddy Roosevelt, and I do apologize for how American this introduction is, uh, Teddy Roosevelt famously said that the key to peace was to walk softly but carry a big stick. And that's why when Roosevelt was president, he sent the U.S. Navy on a tour around the world to send a message. And the message was, we don't want war, but if you want war, this is what you will face. And it proved effective while he was president. As U.S. history moved forward to the days of the Cold War, the stick that the U.S. had to carry kept getting bigger and bigger. Some of you may be old enough to remember the days of mutually assured destruction, where the United States and the Soviet Union had this understanding that if either side attacked the other, well, neither side would come out alive. It was a wonderful thing that we decided to do to the rest of the world. But now imagine for a moment that you're the ruler of a country that doesn't have a big stick. What do you do? Well, the most obvious solution would be to align yourself with a country that does have a big stick. You promise them preferential treatment, perhaps economically, and in exchange they agree to use their big stick to protect you should you need them. Judah was truly a kingdom that did not have a big stick. If you remember from the biblical account, the kingdom of Judah was founded when 10 out of the 12 tribes of Israel left. They said, to your tents, O Israel, look to your own house, David. And I'm convinced that the only reason that the tribe of Benjamin stayed with the tribe of Judah was because Jerusalem was actually in the territory of Benjamin. And so the capital was already there. They didn't leave. But 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel left and told Judah to fend for itself. Now, in such a situation, Judah was extremely vulnerable. So they began to seek allies. Sometimes they would make an alliance to their much stronger cousins to the north. And sometimes they would call foreign powers like Assyria to come help them. Very rarely did the thought ever occur to them, you know, we should trust in God Almighty, the Lord of hosts. We should trust Him to protect us. In fact, that thought seems to only have occurred to them when there was no other option. How quickly they forgot the words of the psalmist that we sang this morning, put no confidence in princes, nor on man for help depend. He will die to dust returning, and his purposes shall end. So our text this morning opens with the greatest failure in the life of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Now we first meet Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 18. God's word tells us that in the third year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. 
so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among the kings of Judah who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord had commanded Moses. Hezekiah was a good king. You know, a friend of mine in seminary once told me that when he and his family were reading through First and Second Kings in family worship, that they found it really discouraging to read about all of the different kings. I mean, after all, Solomon started out well, but by the end of his reign, he was worshiping foreign gods. Then Rehoboam had so much potential, but ultimately he was a wicked king. Abijam, wicked. Asa was actually pretty good, as well as his son Jehoshaphat, but Jehoram, wicked. Ahaziah, wicked. Joash started out pretty good, but by the end he was wicked. Amaziah was okay, and Azariah, who's also called Uzziah, started out really good, but by the end he tried to run into the temple and be a priest, which he wasn't supposed to do. Jotham was okay, but Ahaz was wicked. And those are just the kings of Judah, by the way. If I went through the kings of the northern kingdom of Israel, it would be wicked, 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 wicked. And so my friend described it like a gut punch. Every time you encountered a new king, and you would be reading and came to the part where the author said, and he did that which was, and you hoped that this king would be different, but they almost never were. But Hezekiah... Hezekiah was like a breath of fresh air. The king that you come to and breathe a sigh of relief and you say, finally, we got a good one. Hezekiah stands out among the kings of Judah as one of the few who actually took seriously what God's law said should be the conduct of God's king. He is remembered in God's word as the best king that the southern kingdom of Judah ever produced. He was better than Asa or Jehoshaphat. He was better than Uzziah. Better even than Josiah, the last of the so-called good kings. And remember that being a good king in the line of David hearkened back to God's promise to David when God made a covenant with him and his house. God's people had been promised a king from the house of David who would have a kingdom that would never end. A king who would sit on the throne and reign forever and ever. A king of whom God said, I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. So with each new king in the line of David, believers in Israel would sit up and take notice. They'd sit on the edge of their seats and think to themselves, is this, is this the one? Is this the king who will rule with a scepter of righteousness? Is this the king whose reign will never end? Of whom God himself will say, This is my beloved son. Hezekiah was the closest thing that the kingdom of Judah ever got. But as we've read this morning, he still fell far, far short of what God had promised. But it wasn't always like that. In Isaiah chapter 36, Hezekiah had stared annihilation of his kingdom in the face when Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, invaded. 
And the invasion went terribly for Judah, especially at first. It was actually part of God's judgment on the kingdom of Judah. And I earlier last year going into this year, preached through the book of Micah where Micah is mocking the cities of Judah and how they're going to be laid waste by the Assyrians who are coming through and ravaging each of their fortified cities. Sennacherib was so proud of how this invasion had gone that he later inscribed it in his records, stating that he trapped Hezekiah like a caged bird within the walls of Jerusalem. The Assyrians had mocked Judah by saying, Behold, you are trusting in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all who trust in him. Beware, lest Hezekiah mislead you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? And yet the Lord did deliver his people. He was faithful to the covenant that he had made. He answered the prayer of his king who cried to him for deliverance just as he had said he would when Solomon dedicated the temple. Then in Isaiah chapter 38, Hezekiah became sick and God delivered him from the, as God had delivered him from the invading armies, Now Hezekiah ran to him for help as he was fighting for his life against a sickness. And at first even Hezekiah said that this sickness would kill him. And yet Hezekiah trusted in the Lord his God. And he prayed, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And God heard his prayer. God healed him. And Hezekiah gave God the glory that was due to his name. Now, you would think after all of that, that Hezekiah would know to trust in the Lord with all his heart and lean not on his own understanding. To acknowledge God in all his ways so that his paths might be made straight. And yet it seems that the words of the Assyrians were still ringing in his ears. They were gone for now, but they would be back. And they were right. Egypt had been a terrible ally. And so if Hezekiah wanted to avoid being once again trapped like a caged bird, he needed a better ally. He needed a friend on whom he could lean, one who would be a refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. He longed to not fear, though the earth would give way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the seas, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains trembled at its swelling. And so he began to look for friends to help him in his time of need. Friends who would never leave him or forsake him. Friends who would make his wars cease to the ends of the earth. Who could break the bow and shatter the spear. Who could burn the chariots with fire. And so, when the envoys from Babylon arrived, Hezekiah saw his chance. He showed them everything. His treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, and all that was in his storehouses. 
Chapter 39, verse 2 tells us there was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. This is why Isaiah got so angry with him. Didn't he get it yet? No human kingdom could save him. No human might could rescue him. Judah was one of the weakest kingdoms on earth. They had always been far weaker to their cousin, than their cousins to the north, and that kingdom had just been taken into captivity. Judah could not stand on their own strength, but they weren't supposed to. They were supposed to find their hope in the covenant faithfulness of God. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world that is still hostile to God and His Word. We face hostility and hatred from the world, all while we must guard against heresies and divisions within. Our adversary prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The dragon makes war on Christ's church. The accuser constantly seeks an opportunity to make God's people curse God and die. And yet I ask you this morning, on whom do you trust for your church's survival? May we never forget the words of the Apostle Paul when he said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God, God gave the increase. May we never forget the words of Peter when he said, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. May we never forget the words of Christ when he said, I will build my church. We dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. Christ shall have dominion over land and sea. Earth's remotest regions shall his empire be. Christians, do you believe that this morning? Do you trust in Christ to keep his church in the midst of members falling away, in the midst of a culture hostile to God's word in a day when the statement Jesus is Lord is beginning to provoke as much outrage as it did in ancient Rome? Do you trust in Christ to keep his church to complete the good work that he started? Unfortunately, Hezekiah did not believe. The best of all the kings of Judah ultimately put his trust in man instead of God. And in so doing, he doomed his descendants to conquest, hunger, torture. And he was glad to make that trade. By trusting in man, he secured his kingdom. And he didn't care what happened to those who came after him. The promise of the world worked for Hezekiah. And yet, though Hezekiah was faithless, God was still faithful. Look at chapter 40, verse 1 with me, where God speaks to his people and says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak 
tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Christians, God had not forgotten his people, even though Hezekiah was faithless. God had not forgotten his covenant. God was not slow concerning his promise. God was still faithful. Though their king had sold them for the price of peace and prosperity, their God had not forgotten them. He would still preserve a remnant for his namesake. He would still bring an end to sin and death. He would still make wars cease. He would still bring about the age to come, the new heavens and the new earth. Hezekiah had fallen short, but God would still make all things right. He would still one day make all things new. And God is still faithful to us today. Even when our leaders disappoint us, when our shepherds seem to have no regard for the sheep, when it seems like all the world has forsaken us, our God is still faithful. You know, I was not raised in the Presbyterian Church. I came to Reformed theology on a journey, so to speak. It started when I was in college and ended uh, shortly before I went to seminary, actually. And a big influence on me as I was coming to Reformed theology was what at that time was called New Calvinism, the Young, Restless, and Reformed movement. And I'll never forget reading online about the collapse of a church called Mars Hill Church in Seattle. I remember sending a link to a story on what had happened to a friend of mine who had likewise been heavily influenced by that movement, and all I could say was, why does this keep happening? Why do pastors keep falling into sin? Why do churches keep abandoning the doctrines of the faith? Why do people tell story after story of mistreatment and abuse at the hands of those who would call themselves God's servants? But Christians, make no mistake. Let God be true, though every man is a liar. Christ has never left his people. He is still faithful to his promise to be with us always, even to the end of the age. Christians, Christ will hold you fast. When you fear your faith will fail, Christ will hold you fast. When the tempter will prevail, Christ will hold you fast. Those he saves are his delight, precious in his holy sight. He will not let your soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, Christ will hold you fast. For Christians, Christ is the hope of our passage this morning. Christ is the one of whom the voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." 
Christ is the king that Hezekiah could not be. Christ is the good shepherd of which all earthly shepherds fall short. Christ is our hope in life and in death, for we are not our own, but we belong body and soul in life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He, with His precious blood, has fully satisfied for all our sins and set us free from the power of the devil. And He so preserves you that without the will of your Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from your head. In fact, all things must be subservient to your salvation. And therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures you of eternal life and makes you sincerely willing and ready, henceforth, to live for Him. Christ was the hope for the people living in Hezekiah's day. Christ was the hope of the exiles in Babylon who reaped the reward of Hezekiah's wickedness. And Christ is our hope today. And therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, for there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. So let us say with the saints of old that the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so be still and know that He is God. He will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. Christians, trust in the promise that He will never leave you or forsake you. Trust in the promise that He will be with you always. Trust in these promises, for this is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we have heard your wonderful promises to your people. We have heard the account of how you have been with your people in ages past, and we know that you will be our hope for years to come. Help us ever to trust that Christ will be with us always to the end of the age, that Christ is our rock and our foundation, that you will ever be with your people. For it is in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.